What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are lucky to sit down today with the one and the only Phil Hewlett, and I cannot wait to speak with him. He's the PA announcer for the Anaheim Ducks. He's been all over the radio landscape, and he's a guy that you want to pick his brain and listen to what he has to say. Phil, how's the day treating you today? So far, so good, James. Thank you very much. In fact, uh, things just got better now that you and I are talking. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of mix-up on the time. It's always so weird when you're on the east coast of Canada. You're on Atlantic Standard Time, and I was talking to Eddie Lack yesterday, and he didn't realize that there was a different time zone outside of the eastern time zone. So it was much like with you, the extra hour got tacked on. So I didn't know you were in Halifax, to be honest. I thought maybe you were in Toronto, which is eastern time. Yep, that's exactly what happened yesterday, so same thing, but yeah, no, it's great, uh, sunny here out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, finally got some sunshine, no rain, so it's beautiful. Yeah. I got to visit someday, I, I'm told that the people are nice out there, and I, I'm not going to force you to admit that you're nice, but uh, I'm told that uh, that's what it's like, you can walk down the street and people invite you in for dinner. Uh, it is 100% correct, I'm originally born and raised in Toronto, so you did get that connection right. And I moved here in 2003, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Everyone's very personable, everybody's very friendly, and it's just a a nice pace of life. There's enough busyness to keep you going, but everything slows down at times. It makes it nice to get around. Yeah, how about that? All right, well, good to know. It's it's on my bucket list of places to visit. Well, if you ever come out this way, we'll make sure we tour you around and show you all the good sights. Thank you very much. Not a worry at all. Well, sir... I'm very happy to have you on. Obviously, PA announcer for the Anaheim Ducks. That is huge. I want to ask the question, though. What got you into using your voice on the radio? What got you interested in being behind the mic? Uh, A lot of people have different stories. I'd like to hear yours. Well, everything changed when my voice changed. I've sounded more or less like this since, um, uh, I don't know, 1974. And so what I did is I had a a reel-to-reel recording a tape recorder in my bedroom. It was my dad that he had since the 1950s, I want to say. And I had a five-band radio as well, an old Grundig five-band. It looked like a piece of furniture. And uh, and I could pick up the FM, and I had a favorite FM radio station in Southern California. All my buddies listened to it as well. And what I would do is I would record my station, and then stop recording when the DJs talked, and then I would go back and record myself doing the break. And I created my own little radio station that when my friends came over, they got to listen to it. It was K-R-O-T, K-Rot, Rotten Radio. And my friends, since they already liked the music, because that was our favorite station, they liked my version of the station even better because of all the goofy breaks that I did. And so that was the encouragement enough 
to uh, put the uh, thought in my head that hey, maybe uh, maybe I should be a DJ. And then over over time, uh, you know, lots of people say, hey, you have a voice for radio. You should be on the radio. And it, it, that constant encouragement, uh, despite the fact that my parents wanted me to have a respectable job where you punch a time card at eight in the morning and and uh, punch out at five in the afternoon and come home and take off your shoes, sit on an easy chair and have a beer and watch TV like every other normal American do. Uh, but that's not the path that I wanted to take. Um, I started hanging out at a local radio station, the same one that we listened to. Uh, the DJ showed me around. and uh, I, I learned some of the inner workings of how a station operates. And um, in high school, by the time I got to my uh, senior year, uh, I was in the uh, principal's office. I won't, won't say why. That's another story entirely. <laughs> but I, as I was leaving, I, I looked down the, uh, to one direction, and the uh, broom closet was open. And inside the broom closet, I saw a microphone and a reel-to-reel tape recorder and a turntable and a mixing board. And I said uh, to the principal, I said, well, what's that? He said, well, we have like a closed-circuit radio station set up. We haven't used it for years, maybe uh, 15 years. No kidding. May I? And from that day forward, I came in during the lunch hour uh, rather than hanging out with my friends, and I created my own little radio station that uh, aired for about 45 minutes, Monday through Friday at lunchtime. And, uh, and then when it came to going to college, which I wasn't planning on doing, I was just going to pack uh, pack the U-Haul and follow the warm wind to a radio station somewhere in the country in a small market most likely that would consider hiring me. Um, but my parents would have been heartbroken if I didn't go to college, so I picked a college that had a student-run radio station, and uh, before my freshman year was over, I was on the air, and before my uh, sophomore year was over, I was already in uh, student management, and my last two years at that university, I was actually running the radio station. Um, and from there, I hopped right to a Los Angeles radio station. Rather than packing that U-Haul, I got to stay in the number two market and where I've been uh, since 1981. And, uh, working on various radio stations, either as a disc jockey, I was a heavy metal disc jockey for many years, and ANAC was the world's famous radio station. I still operate, co-own, I'm a co-founder of ANAC.com, which is the online iteration of that world-famous radio station. Um, and uh, I've gone from being a disc jockey to a, a talk show host to a news anchor. I anchor the news for NBC News Radio uh, and uh, heard on 1,100 radio stations. I'm told. I don't. I can't list them for you, but <laughs> I may actually even be on in Toronto and Halifax, for all I know. Um, but uh, but, but I, I suspect it's for American radio. Uh, and then uh, uh, I've done podcasting, and I continue to do voiceovers. I have a studio in my house, and uh, because of the COVID-19, I've been at home doing everything. Radio, voiceovers, teacher, I, I lecture at three different colleges. I've been doing all of that at home. It's, uh, and I, frankly, rather not leave. The only thing I miss is hockey. Yep. Sitting right there on the in the referee's crease on the, on the red line. Um, Watching, uh, watching the games. I, they pay me to do that, but uh, frankly, I would pay them to let me keep doing. 
well, it's one of the best seats in the house. Well, just to to run through, I mean, for yourselves, it's, it seems like since the beginning, the inception of you wanting to do this, it's all been self-driven, which is a, a lot that goes into people wanting to do the things that they love. And they say, if you do something you love, you never really work a day in your life. And that just uh, echoes the comment you just made that you said you'd pay them to let you sit there. Um, for you, what would you what would you recommend someone who wants to, to get in, not into just radio, but just to learn to be behind the mic? Is it for you, was it repetitions that got it going? Obviously, you said when your friends, you know, kind of gave you that vote of encouragement that it was something that got the ball rolling. But is there something that you would recommend to do to keep it going properly, like repetitions or showing people? Or I know a lot of people say you should put a reel together and, you know, give it to everyone. But I think that getting repetitions myself is a way that I've gotten a little bit better. But I want to hear from you what you think is the best way to get going and, and get the repetitions in and whatever you need to do. Sure. Uh, you know, putting a reel together and sending it out, your reel could suck. And that'll be more or less the end of your career unless you just don't give up. But if you don't have the self-awareness uh, to be able to listen to your demo and compare it to what other people are doing, um, there are a lot, it, it's a little like watching American Idol and the singers come out and audition and they're just absolutely terrible. But they think they're one of the best singers ever and their whole family and friends, everybody tells them that they, they are a great singer. Um, you have to get past all of that and actually critically listen to yourself. Um, I think most people don't like the way they sound. And if you love the way you sound coming out of the box, there's a problem more than more than likely. I didn't start liking the way I sound, even though everybody has always told me that, that I have a good voice. I, I didn't like listening to my voice on a recording until well into my 50s. And I think that's normal. And if I just saved some people 20 years by saying that, uh, that your voice is good. Uh, but one of the things that I recommend everybody do, aside from enunciation exercises and reading everything that you see out loud, and you know, just practice speaking and learning inflection and how to keep people engaged with your voice rather than being monotonous. Uh, but one of the things I, I recommend is listening to what other people are doing. Don't be a copycat necessarily, but definitely emulate the things that you hear that you like and work them into your repertoire while developing your own on-air persona. And then once you have that down, once you have your character figured out, once you can convince yourself that you are a brand and you start carrying yourself in every conversation and every recording as such that you are a brand that can a, a photo of you could go up on a billboard and people will say oh yeah there's Bill Hewlett um, they don't know me personally but I'm just like a bowl of cornflakes they it's, I'm a brand and you can start believing that immediately and start talking bigger than perhaps you actually are and it's the old uh, trick. The, the more often you tell somebody you're an expert, the, the more people start believing you. And the more you act like a brand, the more people are likely to believe you're a brand. And if you don't believe in yourself, trust me, nobody else is either. Um, so that's where you get your confidence. That's where you get your persona. And, and practice, practice, practice. Always be talking on the mic. Always be talking out loud, reading out loud. Practice reading to where you don't sound like you're reading. Learn how to speak. 
speak, what you're reading, rather than uh, um, actually sounding like you're reading. And then the other thing, the biggest advice, and this is advice that I've gotten from several different consultants, is understand that you're not talking to a big audience. The moment you say, hello, everybody, welcome to the show, then you've missed an important aspect of what you're doing. You're really only talking to one person at a time. So you should work the word you in whenever possible and realize that people don't pack a big movie theater or a, or a hockey arena to listen to your voice. It's usually just one person with a pair of headphones on or sitting in a car. So include that person, engage that person. And, and this comes up when I'm doing hockey games because various people from interns to vice presidents write the copy for the promotional uh, announcements that I make in, uh, during a game. And very often the copy will say something like, uh, uh, and uh, Ducks fans who show up to next Friday's game will have this particular privilege. So I change that immediately when I see it. I say, if you come to this Friday's game, you'll get, and now I'm talking to that one person, while there's 17,000 people in the audience all talking amongst themselves during a break and play. And I say, Ducks fans who come to this Friday, game, um, I'm not really talking to any of those individual people, but when I say you, then all of a sudden there's a little uh, train switch uh, engineer in their brain that switches the track over, and now they're listening to it uh, because I'm talking to them. And that's one of the best tricks in broadcasting, is always talk to one person at a time. And if you can't visualize that person, if it helps you, get a picture of somebody you love, somebody who's halfway that you had a lot of respect for or love for, you know, like a grandpa, grandmother, somebody like that, a, an ex-girlfriend, I don't know, uh, somebody who's real important to you in your life right now. Get a picture of that person and, and tape it up on the wall in front of you and talk to that person while you're on. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, like, that makes a complete a lot of sense. It's something that I've never been told and you know, I like to myself ask questions, you know, and, and, you know, I'm inquisitive by nature. So I want to know things and not only about the person, but just about things that I'm trying to do and that others have achieved already and just see how they got there. And to, to hear that, I mean, that's something that I never would have thought of. And I mean, I opened this episode with you by saying, you know, welcome back everyone. So, I mean, just that little thought there instantly now is in my mind, got that thought up and yes, maybe putting up a picture of my daughters would be great because talking to them would be perfect. And I mean, that is something you don't think of. And it's such a, a small detail that like you said, overlooking it could overlook the fact that someone listening to you or feeling like they're being talked to themselves. So that's uh a little bit mind-blowing and eye-opening for me, so I want to thank you for that one. Yeah, you're welcome, and your show's going to be a lot better next time. <laughs> well, I want to ask as well. I mean, obviously, you are the P announcer for the Ducks. We're talking about, you just gave a little, you know, diatribe there about, you know, fans in the arena, but for you, I mean, getting to go there, seeing the games, you've been there since, I believe it was 1997, was it? Actually, the 96-97 season. 96-97, so okay. The Ducks' fourth season was my first so, I mean, you've seen many incarnations of this team. You've seen a lot of players come and go. So i got to ask, and I asked this of Mike Ross uh, when I talked to him. For you, is there a name that you like to say? Was there a player that you got really pumped up? And I, I think I might know the one you might say, but I want to know, is there is there one that you love to announce his goals or just call over the PA when you open the season? Yeah, well, 
well, <laughs> um, over the years, the one that I really hit the hardest, um, well, there were two, but I, I actually think that uh, number 10, Corey Perry, was the name that I hit the hardest. You would probably think it was going to be Tamus Delano. That's exactly and, who I thought. And, and those are the two. Uh, people got thrilled when either of those guys scored because usually uh, it was going to be it was going to be a dirty goal from uh, uh, from Perry, you know, something that he did or some kind of crazy uh, trick right in front of the goal. Um, and Solani, of course, could score from anywhere. Uh, but people love when those two guys score, and so I gave some extra verb with both of those guys' names, and and I always did them the same, and it was similar in style. Um, and you can hear the response from the audience. I would say the name, and the audience would just explode with excitement in either case. Uh, it doesn't always happen when I say other other names. You know, even if it's a, if it's a guest laugh or, or, you know, Raquel or Silverberg, uh, you know, even though people will chant the Silverberg, ooh, ah, uh, Silverberg, ooh, ah, uh, Silverberg, you know, after he scores, uh, it's not the uh, it's not the same as uh, and, and Perry's gone, of course, uh, Solani's gone, but he comes to the game, um, and I introduce him at uh, local events, charity events, from time to time. He'll show up, and I'll still do it the same way, unless it's a more low key conversational level. Um, and, and people still respond and react. And and that, for me, when people instantly respond to uh, something that I say, that's like my friends back in 1974 uh, enjoying my little made-up radio station. That, that keeps me going. That gives me the, uh, the impetus to continue doing this, and, and it reminds me who I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for the fans, for the audience, for people who love that team and, and that's my job is to give those people a gift every time I walk up to a microphone well I know it is an important job obviously within the rink and calling goals and, and there's also other things that come with being the in-house PA announcer and sometimes those things are not the greatest and I know you guys are a part of a little bit of a group I don't know if you've been in on any of those chats where they have all the PA announcers and guys are doing zoom calls lately um, but I did pose the question, you know, a couple of weeks ago about just, you know, the hard things that you have to, to sometimes go through and, and work your way through. And, you know, Mike Ross talked about the humble Broncos and I think I did you as well. And then, uh, Kobe Bryant and things like that. Um, just having you on, obviously maybe people didn't see those tweets. How do you prepare yourself for those things? And is there, like we talked about practice, but is there something that you do to get yourself in a frame of mind where, you know, a normal person would probably choke up, you know, trying to speak about those things, but you have to convey that message to everyone, but keep the composure and keep the level of your voice, you almost even keel when you're saying those things. Um, just wondering, is there something you do to get to that place, or um, do you say it before the game, kind of to get the emotion maybe out of it, or is it just you go at it when you go at it? I think... For me, I want it to be real, and so I don't rehearse over and over again. Um, you know, there, there's some basic rehearsal that we do before every game because it's, it's, there's a certain amount of showtime involved. We got to make sure all of the equipment works. 
timing works for the open, the beginning of the game, you know, from uh, lights out to the national anthem to the puck drop, there, there's a sequence there that has to be rehearsed every day, every game day. Um, but there, there are, there are moments, there are events, there are things that happen that are steeped in emotion, and I prefer actually to read them live and to be part of the moment as well. And gosh, my my memory is escaping me, but something this this season happened where I had a hard time composing myself doing the uh, doing the presentation. And I don't know if the audience heard it, but I, I do believe that I tweeted immediately after that I had a hard time composing myself while I was doing that ceremony. Um, and, and I think that's that's real. If I if I didn't have that emotional connection to what was happening at that moment, um, I would sound disconnected from it and less authentic. And sounding authentic helps you connect better with the audience. And so I think, um, for me, that's the way I like to do it. Uh, too much... Too much practice for something that's uh, that's a big deal. I think can can spoil it. And and I, I will say that you know the the people that run the entertainment side, and I work for the entertainment department, the sports entertainment department. There are certain things they like to re- rehearse over and over again. You know, like if you're going to give away a car on fan appreciation, and you got to rehearse that probably 15 times. Opening night, we show up two hours earlier than we normally do. To, uh, to do rehearsals and go over things. But really, it's just the introduction of the entire roster. And and I don't even participate 100% through that. I'll just read the names, you know, in, in almost a whisper while we're doing that rehearsal. So that I still have some voice left because going through, you know, uh, when you include the coaches, going through 35 or so names yep. uh, at, at, at full throttle, <laughs> there won't be anything <laughs> left for the next for the first goal, let alone the first penalty. So I I like living in the minute best that I can because I think it's a more honest presentation for the listener. No, I mean, 100%, because having emotion and conveying it and being able to to be a part of it, I think would help not only charge the the emotion in your voice but get you through it, but just knowing that you're with everybody else who's – feeling the exact same thing at the exact same time not you know saying it in the mirror 15 times and then jumping behind the mic and I like the fact that you do that I mean I've spoken with other people who like to rehearse it just to make sure you know when they hit certain points that their voice doesn't crack or you know they don't get the emotion that they would feel the first time reading it but I like the fact that you want to be right there with everyone I think that's awesome and I gotta ask obviously announcing each and every team, when the opening of the season happens, are you amped up? I know a lot of guys get really, really excited for the first game of the season. All the guys coming in. Um, for you, are you amped up when you're doing it? And for you, is there a player that has come into the team, whether it be one who's drafted or one that was traded for or signed, that you were really excited to hit on opening night? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> This uh, this season, it was it was fun to introduce guys like uh, Max Jones and Sam Steele. Uh, I think, uh, provided we don't trade them away, 
which often happens with teams. You have these great prospects, and they're used as uh, uh, as bait to bring somebody else in over the, the over time. But um, I mean, guys like that, uh, and, and whenever Zegras comes up, when I get to introduce him for the first time. Uh, provided he comes in on opening night, well, well, he will. I mean, his first season, they'll probably trickle him into the into the roster during the course of the season, uh, but not destroy his rookie status. And then he'll start the following season on opening night as a rookie. And, and when that happens, um, you know, a guy like that that has so much promise that people are doing, uh, you know, announcing a name like that on opening night is a huge thrill for me. It's like seeing Ovechkin in his uh, in his rookie year. You know, everybody knew there was something special about that guy, and, uh, and he delivered on the front. And anytime you have somebody who has the potential to be, you know, in the hockey history book, I don't know that Mac Jones and Sam Steele are going to um, going to be at that level. They are good players. They have the potential to be great players. But when the guys with a lot of promise come up and I introduce them on the opening night, I, I give them, I hope, I give them and their family, if they're in the audience watching, uh, the respect and the, uh, and the verve and the attitude that their name requires at that moment because it's, it's a huge moment in their lives. And for their families and for the people who follow them, for the fans, and and for me, it's a thrill to say their name. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, man, if I was there introducing Ovechkin on the first night, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> what a thrill that would. Have been. And I will tell you, it, it it as a as a public address announcer, it does matter to be in physical shape because opening night. You could be lightheaded and, and maybe pass out, <laughs> and they'd have to they'd have to uh, delay the game to bring the EMTs out and bring you on a stretcher. It, it, uh, at least in my arena, and I know it is that way in several other arenas. You can't exit through the audience; you have to go off the ice. And so, if something happens to me, uh, they'd have to take me down, stop the game, and bring me off the ice to the to the locker room. Um, boy, that would get that would get onto the uh, uh, sports center, wouldn't it? Well, that would go absolutely viral, but at least you'd get to do the the classic thumbs up, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be the, cool. the classic going off the ice, thumbs up. You know, a little bit of a cheeky smile on, but no, yeah. you definitely would want to be in shape. You wouldn't want to get lightheaded. You wouldn't want to pass out. Um, I know some guys are up in the gondola are doing their calls, but I gotta ask. You probably have had the opportunity to do it both ways. You said you like where you are. Um, do you have a preference? Do you like to be above the game, or do you like being where you are with the game? Um, is there a spot for you that you'd like to be? Well, I'll tell you, the only time I've been up in the uh, uh, altitude doing games was not hockey. It was lacrosse, um, outdoor, uh, in an outdoor stadium, a uh, big lacrosse tournament. And, um, and I felt disconnected. Uh, I do baseball. And I'm, you know, I'm up one level, but I'm right behind home plate. So I feel like I'm right there. I'm close enough. Uh, but there's really nothing like being right there and hearing the players and the referee skating up and uh, telling me something that essentially is not official until I announce it. 
um, since I'm part of the game, my announcements are in the rule, rules book. If you look at the NHL rules book, there's a section for how announcers are supposed to uh, say certain things and when they're supposed to say certain things. And since that's there, that means I'm an integral part of the game and my announcements matter and they matter less if the information from the referee has to be given to a guy who then has to call up to the rafters to tell another guy who tells the announcer and then the announcer tells the audience. I don't know how long that takes, but it's a disconnection from the actual event. We pride ourselves at Honda Center with announcing the goals as quickly as possible. And I'd say more than 90% of the time, we're ready to announce, I'm ready to announce the goal, uh, the, uh, the guy who scored in the two apples, the moment the puck drops for the next play. And, you know, there are cases where there's a, uh, there's a redirect or a couple of, the puck hits five or six guys on the way to the, to the net. And it takes the uh, video replay guy uh, a little extra time to know exactly who the two assists go to uh, or who actually scored the goal, for that matter. But most of the time, it's right when the puck drops. And I'll watch games, you know, when the Ducks are on the road, I'll watch the games. And, and in almost every other arena, it could be two or three plays before you get the goal in them. Yep. I know and, that's what the Maple Leafs, it's it's good 45 to 50 seconds before that goal actually goes out. And you're right, they're already down the ice or a new sequence or another goal has already been scored in the time it takes to announce the goal. So, Yeah, and then the fans are so spoiled by, <laughs> our, by our efficiency. So that when there is one of those that requires a little extra review, I'll get uh, people tweeting, hey, hey, who scored the goal? Well, what's taking so long? And it's my fault, of course, right? Because <laughs> I'm the one that delivers the news. Well, hey, you just said you're an integral part of the rules, right? So everybody turns to you when things aren't going the way they should. <laughs> yep, that's well, right. Gonna... The, the big thing I want to ask for you um, before I let you go today there, Phil, is everybody has a moment that they've called or that they're waiting to call. And I know that you've been a part of the Ducks when they've won the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, that's the ultimate call for the Anaheim Ducks. I'm wondering, though, before that or after that, is there another moment that you got really excited for that you were excited to call? And is there a moment you're still looking forward to calling? You know, as, as strange as it sounds, I mean, and you pointed out correctly when I had the opportunity to say, ladies and gentlemen, the Stanley Cup, uh, on the night that the Ducks won at home. Uh, nothing beats that. But for me, I don't think anything has been even close. Um, there were goals that I got to call uh, that, that were just ridiculously important and unimaginable. Uh, comeback goals, you know, when the team comes back from uh, what seemed to be an insurmountable uh, deficit to win the game, uh, overtime goal, you know, before the shootout. Uh, those are always real exciting. But I think, you know, to get to the Stanley Cup final and to win the Stanley Cup, win the championship, is is really spectacular. And it does seem to me that to only have won it once, and there in Toronto, you guys don't have this issue, uh, but to only have won it once, uh, after a while, 
start to, I think, need to shake off the the perception that it was a fluke, that it was just a strange aligning of the stars. Uh, you know, Niedermeyer and Pronger on the blue line. Come on, oh. how how is that even possible? But it was the case, and lots of other great players on the team. Um, so to be able to do it a second time and to say, yes, I mean, look, the, the Anaheim Ducks went, what, five or six seasons um, in a row as the, uh, you know, either the Pacific or the Western Conference um, champ. And, you know, we're in a rebuilding stage now. But after that rebuilding ends, the rubber hits the road. And if you can win that Stanley Cup a second time, then it's a huge sigh of relief. Yeah, it is real. This is a real, this is a legitimate team. Um, and I think announcing it the second time is going to be even better than the first. Because we were we were rookies at that before. But then you get to it the next time and there's that validation that I don't think I'm going to completely grasp until it happens. But I suspect well, with the moves the Anaheim Ducks are making and the players are putting in place, like Sam Steele and Zegras, like you mentioned, I don't see it being too far-fetched of a possibility to get back there and hear you announce that. I'm just hoping that it's after the Maple Leafs win one, and I'm hoping <laughs> they can do it in the most Maple Leaf of fashions during this, what we're dubbing the COVID Cup this summer. Hopefully they win this one and we can park our uh, our wagons for a while and let you guys you know, go chase one down, and we can hear you, Phil, call another one. Yeah, and have opening night around Christmas or so. Isn't that what they're talking about? What I've heard, the last thing, and this is from Elliot Friedman, was they're looking to start the season on the outdoor game on January 1st. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's a pretty nostalgic way to start the season, outdoors. Hopefully it's snowing and you can get that picturesque, you know, theme going and start the season that way. I mean, it'd be a pretty cool way to kick it off. And, and that would make me happy as an announcer, because no longer will I have to say, uh, ladies and gentlemen. 